Invest in yourself today with our Insider Pro product, which gives you the career path to reach the next step in your cybersecurity journey. Join today on cyber.it using the discount code podcast. Michael Skelton, part of BugCrowd's security operations team, joins Cyberay's Mike Gruen to break down the expectation and communication gap. Recruiting the right talent is hard enough when factoring in skills and experience. But the top concern, according to Skelton, is the lack of proper communication and expectation setting. In this episode, Skelton and Gruen deconstruct their experiences on hiring for their teams and being hired and the critical role communicating your needs plays in setting realistic expectations for companies and prospective applicants. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Cyberary Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Rowan, VP of Engineering and CISO here at Cyberary. And today we're joined by Michael Skelton from BugCrowd uh, to discuss uh, skills gap and uh, in the space, um, whether it exists or doesn't, um, and hopefully have some fun with the topic. Uh, I'll let Michael introduce himself and give a little background. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Michael, I work for BugCrowd, so I run the security operations team there. Uh, been a top 20 hunter on that platform, uh, ex-penetration tester for NCC Group before that. And um, yeah, other than that, just a native to the space for a while now, I guess. Cool. Do you uh, really briefly want to uh, maybe talk about what BugCrowd does? Yeah, so we're the, uh, the first bug bounty platform. So essentially, um, researchers have access to a range of websites um, through us. And so they can find bugs in them, they report them to us, and we work with the um, company behind it, remediation and things like that, to see it resolved. And the researcher gets paid for their efforts. So um, researchers' role in that essentially being uh, that of the hacker, uh, we're the mediator in between, and uh, we also onboard the customers through that. Yep. And full disclosure, Cyber is a customer. Uh, I'm the primary, me and Jonathan uh, Myers, um, uh, primary beneficiaries of it. We uh, we really love the platform. We've been using it now for a year, um, and it's been great. Um, really helped us um, find some things that we might not have found otherwise, um, and helped us also just deal with the barrage of uh, things that come in all the time. Um, so it's I find it really um, really helps um, us get through our, our our day and our week um, in a very efficient way, uh, rather than having to deal with the, all the all the triaging ourselves. So definitely love the platform. Um, so, uh, and today we're, we want to discuss uh, sort of skills gap in the IT cybersecurity space. Um, I know um, we recently, Cyber recently put out a report about the skills gap um, or, and uh, we were talking to Michael and uh, he had some, some really interesting ideas on the topic and uh, we figured we'd, we'd go ahead and record it and have a conversation about it. Yeah, I guess, well, yeah, the, the controversial stance, I guess, I still feel, I mean, we spoke about this in uh, February. Um, I, I still feel that there's not so much a skills gap as there's an expectations gap. And you can make arguments that there's skills gap at the top, and I hear that one a lot. Um, reality being there's far less roles that need those caliber of people, and there's so many roles still that need broad spectrum knowledge. But, I mean, it, there's, a, there's somewhat of a bias being in the space that I'm in being bug bounties. We see so many talented individuals. However, I still think that there's a big gap between knowledge of those managing and running those teams and what they need in those teams, which creates this perception of a skills gap, not so much because there's a skills gap 
in the people that they need in the team, but there's a skills gap in the management that's orientating and building those teams. No, I think that that definitely resonates. I know uh, we talked um, here uh, with uh, with Josh Lospinoza a few, probably a couple months ago, about similar things in the military where the people who are sort of in charge of the programs, not having the technical background, not really understanding the space, and then then having problems, you know, sort of getting the, the right people into the roles, knowing what the role is. And I think that that definitely translates. I think there's there's a lot of similarities there that we probably see in um, the private sector. Um, I do think that there's, I mean, it's true in almost all the tech jobs. Uh, as a software engineer, I know I've had managers over the years who have had varying degrees of technical capability and really um, understanding what they need from a software engineering perspective, whether it's um, uh, because they just didn't have an engineering background and they're more of a, a quote-unquote manager um, and therefore mm. they don't really know the, the skills or the, the space um, or if it's, you know, for the more technical ones, um, they definitely knew sort of what they wanted, but not necessarily in the most modern of terms. So I think there, there's, there's a lot of... A, a lot of what you're saying resonates. Um, in terms of the the what you think of as an expectation gap, though, what can you maybe elaborate on that? What do you what do you sort of mean by that? Well, I guess the there's two things. One is knowing you know expecting where you can find people. So most security people aren't looking on typical job boards for a role. They they achieve through networking, and that's still very much the point we are in with the cycle. And you see some people hear that and then they'll go and approach that by looking through isolated channels for their role and then they wonder why they have a gender bias in their team because they haven't broadened their horizons by, you know, expanding across multiple mediums and partnering with different groups like uh, WISP and other things to fill those roles. Um, But then the expectations gap also comes into play when, you know, you're putting up, oh, you know, they must have... Uh, CEH and CISP and all these other things that then you flip that into community, there's an aversion to particularly CEH being something that's more detrimental than enhancing to your career. So you're not going to apply for those places that are looking for it. So that creates a a, a bit of a gap in the market, essentially, where those who um, consider themselves passionate about security look at those as something that won't help and would hinder them. And then there's some people who are hiring that are like, oh, well, you know, US government requires CEH, so we're going to require CEH, not realizing that there's a total gap in market there that they're creating. No, that makes sense. I think um, when I was looking for a job, again, I can only relate as a software engineer uh, looking for positions, but definitely seeing the same things where uh, when I look at a job description, looking at what they're requiring and then thinking, well, is that really what they need or is this just what's been written down because it's being copied and pasted from some other thing or because the person mm. doesn't really know or whatever the case may be. And I think, um, you know, I have a um, an interesting, when it comes to like certifications, uh, I think a lot about them in terms of, you know, what are they actually offering? What are they bringing? Um, and, you know, I know a lot of people put a lot of stock in them. Other people don't. Um, I'm not going to... I don't think that there's a right answer or a wrong answer. I think it depends on what you need and, and, and what the requirements are. 
Um, I think that certifications have a lot of uh, value in terms of, you know, showing the dedication to to a topic area to go through the process of getting one. Uh, the um, sort of similar in engineering to just having a shorthand where we all know we're all using the same terminology to talk about the same things, which makes the team just operate more efficiently and, and things along those lines. And so I think that there's some benefits to certification from that perspective, but at the same time, there's any number of people who've just been doing the job and have been doing it for, you know, and, and understand the concepts and, and haven't bothered to get the certification. And by requiring certifications for certain jobs, you're really sort of turning off a whole number, a whole lot of people. Um, I think the the interesting thing in our space is that it also you expand it further. Um, what certifications you do kind of become indicators of you know how exposed you've been to the space. So if someone there's there's correlations that get drawn from it fairly or unfairly, and I'm I'm not saying that I'm holding this bias, but I can see it in in the majority of communities. So like. If someone's just done a CISP, then you kind of assume, oh, they're more GRC, they're more management orientated. They haven't gone too technical. If someone's just done a CEH, nothing else, you go, oh, okay, they're looking for the quick wins. They're still quite new in their career. They haven't, you know. Um, and likewise, if someone's done OSCP, you're like, okay, so they want to be a pen tester. Hmm. Um, and so that doesn't mean that that's correct. But you flip that to the other side of the argument you see a role. So you, you get that bias picked up through Twitter and osmosis of hanging out with, you know, networking events and other things. That, that, those are the biases that exist. Someone then creates a job advertisement. They're like, oh, well, we're just looking for CEH. They look like they don't take security very seriously or that there's a gap there. Or if they go, oh, look, we're looking for CISP and we're looking for CISM and things like that. It's like, okay, they're looking for a manager with a GRC focus. And that may not actually be what the role is, but that's inherently what they're communicating with the position description. And so it could be that, hey, they actually need someone internal who's going to help out in the SOC. And there's just been a gap created along the way with the wrong job advertisement being lifted into that. And I think we have all these nuances, particularly around certification and what they mean, that create you know this gap in expectations again that coming back to that that then the wrong kinds of people apply for that role which makes it look like oh well we can't get someone for that sock but you're actually signaling out to market you know we, to those kinds of people we're more interested in something else so yeah and i also think that certifications aren't skills um that's just oh correct yeah definitely you know what i mean they're, they're, it's just a big it's just a big bundle of related topics that you know or don't know or know to some extent, whatever. And I think when I think about skills, I really do think about it much more fine-grained. And I think technology is allowing us to get to that point now where we're able to um, provide smaller bite-sized skills and assess people's abilities in those areas and maybe have a more rich conversation. Whereas in the past, um, you, you know, you, you can't... When you're looking for a job, when you're 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 a hiring manager, right? You you can spend a lot of time yourself trying to, you know, let's say you're an expert in the field and you you really do know what you're looking for. Trying to do those networking, trying to scour LinkedIn, do all the sourcing is is time consuming. It's a full time job, and one of the easiest ways to deal with that full time job is to get a technical recruiter involved. And so now you're talking about this certifications becoming. Um, a shorthand way of communicating to that technical 
technical recruiter things that you're looking for because there's no way you're going to be able to get into the nitty gritty weeds of the exact skills that you're looking for. And in fact, I find it very difficult to communicate those skills. Usually my, like when I put together a job description, it's usually more about the type of work you'll be doing um, and the types of problems we're going to be solving. Um, and then when I'm looking at resumes, that's what I'm, what I'm looking more at. And I think it's a, mm. it's a, it's a hard, it's really hard for um, someone who's not an expert in the space to, to, to put it all together, right? To, to be able to look through resumes and identify, oh, this particular topic is related or this problem that they solved here is applicable or you can abstract it to this other, um, to the problems that you guys are trying to solve. And uh, I think on that, there is something to be said for the, there's recruiters in the space coming up that specialize in security because mm-hmm. they'll understand how to communicate with you to pull out what they need to create the, the potential positioning. Um, and we're seeing them now at conferences. We're seeing them presenting at conferences and networking. And so they know those other avenues where they can reach people. Um, and some of them are very effective at that. It, uh, you know, I think that's probably one way that the market essentially is correcting itself in terms of, you know, there's opportunity there for recruiters who know how to, um, how to work our space and they're, they're doing quite well with it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, before we uh, started recording, you and I were talking a little bit about the similarities in the software engineering space. And and the mm. same was true there, right? In the in the early days when I was hiring engineers and I was dealing with recruiters, um, for the most part, most of the recruiters were sort of, even the technical ones were still fairly generic. And then you start getting into, you know, I, I really... Uh, enjoy working with the smaller boutique type recruiters yeah. who have people who specialize in certain roles. And yes, they're, they can't do the job, but they've spent the time learning and talking to enough people that they can, they know what the role is and they can sort of put things together and they can ask the right questions and they can come back and ask me the right questions of like, Hey, this, this candidate has this skill. Is this, does this apply to what you guys are doing? And they actually learn. I think you're right. I think the market is correcting itself similar. You know, it's um, a few years behind maybe where software engineering was. Um, I think it's a great yeah, opportunity. Yeah, that's it. A, a good recruiter both knows how to filter the candidates as well as how to, to tease out of the, uh, the company exactly what they're looking for. So, Yep. Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned it earlier, the sort of expectation of like, if I... Um, put up the job descriptions. Like I, even non software engineering positions, security positions, any number of things, almost every hire that I've made has been through some sort of internal referral or mm. recruiter. Um, because putting jobs up on job sites, you just, it's, it's very difficult to get the right applicants. It's very difficult to communicate. It's difficult for them to understand the role. Um, I think the, the, the challenge we face there is that because this is how things run, is that where it, it feeds that bias of, you know, teams that are dominant with one type of person. And so the, the biggest challenge there is how do you, how do you avoid that positioning? <laughs> so making sure that, you know, you're not using a recruiter that's just going to the same sources and the same, same book, like, you know, mentioned before, like talk to, talking to areas like WISP and things like that. Um, <laughs> so like when we hire, we've got some people in the company that, can put our jobs in other areas that um, allow us to get more diverse applicant pools. And so I think that software engineering suffers this badly too. A very um, male-dominated field that, uh, same as you are saying, like very networking-orientated hiring. That's okay, but we have to be cognizant that that's not the only thing we should be doing. Um, 
And I think that that presents its own unique set of challenges in terms of if dealing with a recruiter, making sure that they, you know, they're not using the same playbook over and over, essentially. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, or right. And I think on the networking side, what's interesting is you can, if you can do it once, then you have the network to sort of continue to do it and continue to mm. build. Like if you can get those inroads into those various places so that you do it, once you start having diversity, it's sort of easier to get it going, but it's very hard to get it going if you don't have it. Um, I don't know if that makes a ton of sense. It does, but it's also <laughs> it's also being like remaining aware of it as well. Because the right. only way that you get it started is by making conscious effort to correct it in the first place. Um, particularly given like, you know, as we're saying, it's such a networking orientated field. You consciously need to make changes there to support that moving forward. Even if it, um, you know, yeah, essentially it's, it's not, if you're in the point where there is that bias there already and because of the way this field hires, um, it's going to be very difficult to dig your way out of that, but you need to focus on it to essentially position yourself better for the future. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the other things is, and it gets back to just sort of skills in general, the real skill, and it's the skill that I look for, is the ability to learn to adapt to overcome the the great, all of the other mm. sort of things. What you've done in the past uh, or what you know is far less important to me. Um, that just implies to me, how quickly am I going to get a return on my investment? Am I putting you into a role that you you can hit the ground running on day one and you know everything there is to know about this topic? Or is this sort of new, whether it's a new skill, new technology, new whatever, um, but I feel totally confident that you're going to be able to pick this all up and adapt and, over, and, 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 and you know, now it's just a matter of how long is it going to take? And I think that's the other thing that, gets overlooked a lot of times when you're looking for a candidate is you're you're so focused on oh I want somebody with these skills it's like well it doesn't really matter um I just need to know that they understand these general concepts and know how to apply them and can sort of abstract things and take lessons learned um and I think that's another area where you know we could probably be doing better is really making sure that we're giving people the chance to show that they can learn these things and that they can do the job rather than just looking at what they've done um I think the the interesting thing I've kind of come around to realizing too, and wish I realized sooner, is that because um, I, I, I as well I came from I used to run a software dev team. So software dev teams, you really care about raw technical skill, and probably less. I, I mean, to be fair, it's probably changed. It's six years ish since I, I did that. Um, security, I really care about good communicators as well to really champion security. Particularly, like we're talking with researchers, we're talking with customers, but the same if you're in a blue team and you're talking with the business. People that can communicate well are those gems that um, if someone's able to emphasize, you know, hey, like I know how to talk business. Or I, know how to, I know how to break down security concepts in non-technical fashions. It's, that's the thing that I think is most valuable to me as opposed to um, I have these 10 certifications over here. Um, and that is what, like, I mean, this is why people say write a blog, right? And this is where things have gotten broken down over time and miscommunicated. One of the reasons people say write a blog if you want to break into security isn't to write a blog showing all of the CVEs that you found. It's to write a blog showing the CVEs you found explained in a way that pe someone who's not as intimately familiar with that can understand it. 
and showing that you're able to break down the concept in a way that communicates it properly. And I think that's ultimately where that's so important in a hiring manager or someone who's heading up the role as well um, to essentially be able to understand and emphasize the security problem in those job roles that sometimes that ends up creating that miss when you know, there's a communication problem there that's kind of become endemic through the team because of that. No, that's, um, yeah, I think that uh, I never really thought about that way, but it makes a lot of sense. I think um, being able to explain also the why, the what's behind this, yeah. because so much of what security is, isn't fixing this thing or identifying this thing, or it, it's being able to, as I said earlier, abstract it. But then also just because you've been able to abstract this concept, you need to be able to explain it to, to, to other people so that they can either avoid making the same mistake or understand the understand it at a, at a well, different level than just that specific instance of it. Well, sometimes it's just explaining the need to fix it, right? Well, like, there's, there's that too, right? So why, right. Yeah, like in, in security, there's things that we understand why they're a risk. But if you only explain them from a technical concept, someone would be like, oh, well, why do I care about that? Like it's right. even positioning of a bug, like you present someone with a alert one XSS, you're like, oh, look, it's XSS. I mean, there's no connection to the problem as opposed to connecting them with, oh, this is an account takeover based XSS. If I send you this link, I'm going to get control of your account. The communication of the same bug, even though you know more effort in one payload versus the other, completely changes the context of how quickly that's going to get fixed and how the business is going to put momentum behind it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So being able to explain the why behind it, I definitely agree. I think is an important part. Being able to really get into, like, yeah, being able to explain it in that way. Um, it's funny. Um, it reminds me uh, very early on in my career having a, a meeting with. Um, a customer. I was doing software development, and we were building a um, two features for them. One was gift certificates, and one was the ability to have uh, a coupon, a ten percent off coupon. And the requirement was, oh, we want ten percent off coupons that are that are valid on everything. And I was like, valid on everything, but gift certificates, right? And they're like, no, you should be able to get ten percent off on just just gift certificates. Like. And like, and then I had to yeah. take the step of like, you do understand that you're allowing people to print money at that point. Like that's, you, you know, if I can, <laughs> and the, it, you know, it took a little while and I think I was very early in my career. So probably the way in which I communicated, it could have been more effective um, rather than saying that's the stupidest thing I've ever, no, I don't think I said that. Um, but that's, but it, no, just to, to catch that, that's <laughs> right. the main mistake people make early in security is the emotive response, Right. right? is like, no, like treating the customer or the internal person as if they're stupid for not seeing our perspective, even though they specialize in one thing and we specialize in another. Right. Um, that gap is so common. And it, I think that when I say like someone's ability to communicate, I don't mean someone's ability to bully something through. I'm not <laughs> right, saying right. doing that though. I mean someone's ability to have someone emphasize with their position in a way that makes sense for all parties. So, yeah, definitely. And yeah, I was, I was joking. I, you know, that's why oh, totally. no, right, right, exactly, right. it's, it's customer it's, facing, but I think it's, but again, it's the sort of, it's similar to when I look for, there's different types of engineers and back in, you know, when I worked at professional services, there was software engineers that we were hiring that were going to be customer facing. And that was mm. a very different engineer than the, you know, than the engineer who was maybe just, just writing code. Cause you knew when you put them on that call, the the customer would hear their eyes rolling through the phone. Like there was no way they yeah. could just control themselves. And and right, having that that presence of mind of knowing, no, I'm dealing with a person. I need to communicate this in a way, right? We all have our specialties. 
you know, this, this obviously got through several layers of, of, um, of requests before, you know, it got to me and I sort of picked up on it. Um, so I think that's, you're, you're right. It's an important part is, um, having that presence to be able to explain it and, and, and not just have that knee jerk reaction of, Oh, you're, you're dumb. Or how could you make that mistake? Um, yeah. And the, the challenge too, is then you force someone to take a position. If you push them on the emotive aspect and you fail, they'll take a position that becomes much harder to work with. Right. Um, and the reality is sometimes we're wrong too. Sometimes we see things as security risks that in the context of the business is considered an acceptable risk. And then that's not This a- is actually a perfect example of that because I said that. I said, hey, so you, you, I don't know if you realize this, but if you allow people to to use a 10% off coupon on a gift certificate, then you know they can buy, you know, gift certificates and use that money to buy more gift certificates. And in the end, they're, you know, and the business person on the other side of that conversation was like, yeah, but we're willing to accept that risk. Uh, and it's like, wait, why? And they said, well, it takes so long for us to ship out. The, like, we actually had to physically ship the gift certificate and mm. physically ship the coupon that like the, the time at which th- this promotion was only going to be going for so long that they sort of calculated that the, the the chances of anybody figuring it out and getting that much, it wasn't going to cost them that that much money. And I was like, all right, if that's the risk you want to... And in the <laughs> end, I, I don't think they... You know, we, we monitored it. We watched for the scenario where people were buying gift certificates with gift certificates. Um, and uh, and we, didn't, uh, we didn't see it. So, um, I, you know, in the end, it paid off. It was a short... You know, I'm sure if we had allowed that promotion to go on for a long enough period of time or if they had a faster shipping process fulfillment process you know where it was the coupons were arriving in email or something along those lines so right it allowed us to have that conversation um and you know yeah they deemed it as low risk um yeah yeah the yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah hey all right i guess we're done here um (laughs) so yeah i mean i think um you know, you also mentioned sort of channels and where you're looking for people. And I think that's a that's an interesting problem as well uh, in the space is it's I think it's a problem in any in any space really is that the people that are happy in their job are generally not looking for jobs. Uh, mm. And so how do you find people who they might be open to a position? They're not necessarily not looking, they're just not actively searching. Uh, and so, yeah, that network, you know, networking helps a little bit, but there's, you know, I think that security in particular is one where you really do need to be involved in the community to find the right people that as long as you're on the outside, it's it's really hard to just sort of get at people from around the edges. I'm curious what your thoughts are. I mean, part of it, we built a student program. So we talked about this in February that we're intending to do it. We've done it quite successfully. So um and when I say built a student program, we didn't... Uh, so a bit of context there. I run a series of community repos on GitHub. One of those tracks companies with student intake programs. And I tried to verify them one day. I was like, okay, I'm going to try and find people that went through those student programs. And what I found in doing that is that the majority of companies saying they have student programs either don't do it and they just have it as a customer signal. They say they do it, but they don't. Or they do it, but they expect someone to, you know, come in and hit the ground running day one. They don't have any support or build up. They just throw people in the mix and good luck to you. Um, So we actually hired um, Hack Luke, Luke Stevens. So someone who'd done a fair bit and was passionate about teaching in the space security-wise to full-time look after these students and build them up. And then um, 
We also didn't say, oh, you have to have graduated. We actually went and hired part-time people that were still studying because they had such a passion for the space and giving them that shot was such a great way to essentially let them hit the ground running. Um, And we, instead of uh, throwing them at everything, made sure we built ways of properly monitoring and controlling what kind of work would come in to allow us to build them over time. So we could say, you know, start them on, on very low tier kind of uh, quick quick check and noise reduction type work. And as they acquired more skill and gave us proof points that acquired skills, build them up. Um, and also making sure we're regularly building them up in that. So that's actually a, a pretty good inlet for uh, then you build that team. You've then got that team to hire from for other roles. So my capacity planning for next year takes into heavy consideration hiring out of that group. And the best thing about going from a student angle is that from a diversity point of view, it's it's much easier to fulfill a, fulfill that need than it is to go for someone that's been in the space for five years because this industry is still, you know, the five-year cycle in this industry is a pretty pretty uh, pretty biased one, for, mm-hmm. for lack of a better way of putting it. And so it's allowed us to tick a lot of boxes in that. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, like, for, for Luke's hire, that was a networking approach. It was a very specific hire where we needed someone who was very passionate about looking after and teaching students. That's not a hire we could easily market for. Um, so that one came from networking and knowing, you know, who's someone who's doing this already that would like to do this in a professional context. So, you know, we kind of have both in the mix. Um, by virtue of being as being as big a company as we are, it does make it easier to uh, hire, but it also makes it easier to get inundated in noise. And so we do, you know, get pretty specific with that. We still put up job adverts and things like that. Um, but, you know, I look to, you know, student intakes and other things as ways that we can build our team, not just from a, a uh, you know, numbers on numbers on seats point of view, but also from different viewpoints, like having that kind of, um, the, the way I guess I would emphasize it is the morale of the team is better having people that are in that part of their journey than just people who are old and worn down, I guess, not. Commotions. <laughs> no, like we, you get a bias, you, you get right. an inherent, like, oh, everything is broken over time in security versus someone who's at the beginning of the journey who's like, no, this is awesome. You can do that. Um, and I love that like balance that we've kind of brought in terms of people that are new to the space and passionate about it versus people that have been around for a while. And they're like, yeah, of course you can do that. Um, I love that like morale shift that comes with that. Yeah, no, there's definitely a sense of enthusiasm you get out of people that are newer in the field and and yeah. that excitement as they learn and, and explore and, and and uncover things. I think that's amazing. And I think, you know, when when I think about what Cyber is trying to, you know, do with, you know, our career development platform and provide training, especially um, for businesses on the entry level side of things and, you know, mm-hmm. all the way through people's careers. But I think um, it definitely... There, there's something there. And I know we, you know, as a high, as someone who's run technical teams, one of the areas I've always struggled is bringing in really junior people or like sort of that student and knowing that um, making that um, investment because it really is an investment. There's a lot of time you have to spend in, in that. And I've, you know, whether it's internship programs or student programs or whatever it is, you really need to put a lot in, uh, which means you want to have a big enough 
population of people going through it to, to sort of so that you're pulling out of there. And I think Correct. That, yes. that's, yeah. And, and that's an area that I think, um, you know, a lot of companies can probably afford to make that investment in, and then others have to find other, other solutions because it is, you know, it's very difficult. Um, well, I think if, if I was to do it in a smaller company, I'd take some of the lessons of that. So I would still make sure that there's at least one person who's not, begrudgingly taken on this responsibility of training them, but it's passionate about training them mm-hmm. as their key mentor. Like the main thing is having a key mentor that, you know, and not having the expectation that they're going to handle everything out of the gate because that's going to lead to quality issues for the business and stress for the candidate. Right. So it's, you know, having, having, and we haven't got this right. We're still refining this part. And this is, the hardest part to solve is how do you ramp them up into a full role? What kind of timeline do you ramp them up into a full role? But not trying to rigidly set that at the beginning of that, but setting that over time as you see, you know, we have different people in different points of that cycle because people learn at different paces and learn in different ways. That doesn't mean one person's better than someone else, just that they might be a better communicator where someone else is better technically. So we give them more technical things and we put the better communicator on more sensitive items in terms of that context. So having that, you know, flexibility to go, okay, we're going to put this person at the head of it and we're going to adjust over time and being a bit more reactive than proactive to that program purely by virtue of, you know, it is such an unpredictable space that pre-planning everything doesn't really work out. Yeah, and I think part of that program, at least the way we handle it here is, you know, um, looking for the training because you, like one of the, trying to get, a junior person and putting them into a role where they they actually have to ship something where there's some sort of critical thing that you're having them work on is is difficult creates stress it, it it's it you know and then there, this tendency of the 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 more uh, experienced members of your team just saying mm. like you know it screw it I'm gonna do it we need to get it done we don't have time for this and not that they're being mean or whatever there's just we know the sort of business needs I think. Um, so whenever I have the sort of, whether it's an internship program or whatever that I'm running, it's always about like what projects can we identify that are going to have high value, high interest that if they get done, everybody's going to be like, wow, I can't, I can't imagine what it was like before we had this. Um, and yeah. at the same time, aren't like mission critical problems that like the business isn't like, when is this going to get done? I need it yesterday. And mm. so I think... Um, one of the things that we've been able to do is supplement a lot of those projects because there's not a lot of those projects and being able to supplement that with more on-demand training and other things so that they can, so that we can make sure that the, the, the more junior people are getting those opportunities to learn things in sort of these safe environments. I'm curious, you know, if you have similar experiences. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're lucky in the sense that our work stream breaks apart very elegantly to different skill levels because of that. Simply, you know, um, you know, like a P5 issue is a P5 issue that mm. you can part, you know, versus a P1, you wouldn't put a student on a, on a P1, for example, that takes, and, you know, we can break apart our, our tiering model of our team around that pretty elegantly. Um, but that model cross applies to other parts of security. So, you know, a SOC with an escalation pathway can de- design and develop similar ways of breaking apart work, um, they may need to have some other controls around it that we don't have, and it's probably going to look completely differently, but it's achievable still. Um, likewise, um, pen testing, as long you know, the, the mistake I've seen with pen testing with students is expecting them to do the full engagement. 
which I don't think is right for the person doing it, for the company that's hosting it, or for the customer, especially so for the customer. <laughs> but that's not to say that you can't use student programs and pen testing where you've got a shadow arrangement or you know a mentoring arrangement. Like shadowing would, I would say, be the best way, but it isn't the most cost-effective way of doing it. Um, but is the best way to build people. So there's um, definitely other ways that other companies can employ the same. Yeah, it's funny. The shadowing is basically how I got my skills, but it wasn't shadowing from... I was shadow. I was the customer shadowing the, the companies that we had hired to do the various things. And I was just shadowing them and learning what they were doing so that I could learn. And so that, you know, uh, from various for various reasons, both because I was curious and also so we could avoid it and all sorts of things. Mm. So I definitely agree that shadowing is a, you know, that's, I mean, it's hard for me to argue with, with what worked for me. Um, but, you know... I think it's a, a slightly different thing when you're talking about, you know, having a company and then saying like, oh yeah, we know that we're, you know, we're sort of, this person's going to be shadowing this other person. And, um, you know, back in the, in the nineties, it was pair programming was a big thing. And like, wait, we're paying yeah. two engineers, we're paying two engineers to do the job of one. I don't understand. It's like, no, you're making an investment in this other person who's going to be able to take on more responsibility over time. I, I think it's a correction we need to see in the pen testing model in general. Like it uh, is shadowing, it's, a, it's such a useful tool, you know, in terms of put two people in the job, see where they perform and see what, you know, have them trade knowledge and skill sets more directly. I mean, the most enjoyable engagements I did at NCC Group were when we had multiple people on the job. We'd collab, we'd talk techniques and we'd learn from each other and we'd feed from each other. The broader reality of pen testing is that it tends to be single, you know, you're on a job, go get it done and spit out the report. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that that creates a it, it's created silos in the industry in terms of um, you know you if you're the best pen tester today you're not going to be the best in five years if you're not continually and exposing regularly exposing yourself to new skills and techniques mm-hmm. and one of the ways you can continually expose yourself is to shadow with people that are you know like. If I was put on a Ruby on Rails project today, I'm going to be a bit out of my depth, but I could get put on with someone who's like been recently deep dive yet skillful and they can they can crash course to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just because I haven't been pen testing for a few years, there's going to be things there that, and to the point, I don't know what the new things are there. I'm sure I could do well on the engagement, but I could do better if I was paired with someone that's been studying that recently. And I think it also helps with that um, what we're what you were talking about earlier about communication, right? If you have someone, if they're if they're actually sh- you know paired and shadowing each other or one shadowing the other, uh, then they actually have to communicate back and forth about what's going on and explain it. And I think that that helps as opposed to when you're one man team or one person team and you're yeah. sort of going through it and just documenting and checking boxes as opposed to actually having that communication with someone. Um, and I also find having junior people on the team asking me like, well, can you explain that to me? Helps me to better like understand, you know, not just understand, but potentially even find other other things I wouldn't have thought of just because I have this other person who's asking these questions mm-hmm. that maybe I took for granted or didn't really think think through or or whatever it is. To share a bug with someone more directly who's like, it's, it's fun to share a game breaking bug with a customer, but it's even more fun to share it with a peer that really understands what you've done. Right. Like if you've completely busted something to pieces because you've just gone down this rabbit hole for like eight hours and for them to go, oh, wow, that's a lot of work. Like 
for them to just connect with it on a on a different perspective where the customer's like, oh yeah, this is just what you guys do. You know, right. Um, right. Or even cool. or even the manager. I mean, the the fact is I I have uh, several friends who will just, you know, send me a message or or do something that's like, hey, you're the only person I know that's really gonna appreciate this. <laughs> yeah. like, right. It's like, right, their boss, you know, they can they and from their boss's perspective, they're like, hey, yeah, thanks. Uh, it seems like you're just doing your job. Like they just don't get the the like yeah. what it took to actually identify what was going on here. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that ultimately leads people to drive themselves more as well. Like if you're right. in a position where you can share that with your peers, um, then you're going to be a little, you know, a lot more driven to do that in the first place as opposed to just completing the engagement. So. Right. Cool. Well, I've definitely um, enjoyed the conversation. Um, any final thoughts or anything else you wanted to talk about? No, <laughs> I think that's. Uh, I think we've we've covered quite a lot. I think it's gone quite well. So it's um, always a more controversial of topics, but uh, yeah, I guess I, I I do genuinely believe there are incredible amount of talented individuals, and the big gap in the market isn't that we've got a, a lack of that. I think we've got a lack of. It's a communications and expectations problem. The um, both candidates not fully knowing how to communicate what they can do to businesses and to get in front of them and businesses not knowing how to communicate what they're looking for um, that leads itself to present as if there's a skills gap. Um, but I believe it's more that everyone's kind of talking past each other. So, All right. Well, yep. Uh, I mean, I, I think that that's definitely a contributing factor. I, I mean, I, <clears throat> I, I have a my sense is that somewhere there's there's a lot of that going on and there's Degrees also a of lot it. Yeah, of, for sure. Right. There's you know, there's just needs as as more and more companies just need cybersecurity professionals that never needed it before. There's just more jobs being created and, and more roles that need to be filled. And um and yes, and there's definitely this talking past each other and not really understanding what those needs are. And there's probably the people out there that are able to fill them that just aren't getting the looks that they deserve. Um so yeah, and I guess to, to elaborate that's also breaks back to where we're talking about like creating student opportunities and things like that. Like talking past each other is also um, businesses not realizing, you know, you don't have to go for that number one person every time that's going to knock it out. Sometimes you need to build pathways to build someone into being that person. Um, and I think we don't do enough of that as an industry. Um, yeah, I don't think we have the uh, the patience in a lot of cases. We just we're looking for the quick fix. Yeah, we're 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 a begrudged cost center that still hasn't learned how to emphasize to the business the need for investment. So that's a, that's a great way of putting it. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Um, always uh, a pleasure to talk to to folks from Bug Crowd. I enjoyed meeting you, uh, and look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks, Ed. Cheers. Hey, this is Thor. Thanks for listening to the Cybrary podcast and make sure to check back next Wednesday for our newest episode.